0: A chance to feel like heroes too. We'll win and we lose, we we'll go, yeah,
1: we'll go Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Our guest today is Brendan Miller from Cubsinsider.com. He also is the co-host of the Cubs Related Podcast. Uh, we talk about a few things in this episode. Um, the Jim Hickey moving on from the Cubs, uh, uh you know, the off season, I want to say controversy or concerns about how much money the Cubs are going to spend, uh, a little bit about the bullpen and who from Schwarber, Hap, and Elmora might be moved, uh, this off season in the trade. It's a pretty good conversation. Uh. Brendan recorded this while he was driving home in LA in the LA traffic, so there might be a little bit of noise in the background, but uh, it's pretty good. And here is Brendan. All right, well, welcome
0: back to Holy Cow Cubs Podcast, Brendan. Thanks for having me, Sean. Always happy to come back on. Yep. All right. So I guess we'll we're
1: now in the off season, and um, you know we're, we'll talk a little bit about the whole you know, Cubs salary, possible crunch, stuff like that. But we got to kick it off with this stuff about Jim Hickey. And there's just reports everywhere that the Cubs are going to move on from Jim Hickey, which would make it the second year in a row. They have uh, removed both hitting and pitching coaches. And it just (laughs) seems like a lot of turnover right now in the Cubs, like coaching staff. And what do we make of this?
0: Yeah, I've been wrestling with how to interpret this. Um, I I still don't have a solid answer. I guess the only explanation I have with Jim Hickey is it doesn't sound as if it's a a firing per se, right? Like, if the Cubs wanted to fire Jim Hickey, they would have already done it by now. Uh, To me, it's just... Hints at Jim Hickey not wanting to return because Joe Madden is not guaranteed to come back for another year. Right. So if you're if you're Jim Hickey and Jim Hickey has a phenomenal resume, you don't want to gamble your job for one year on Joe Madden, right? Like you want security for your job, and you're Jim Hickey, so you can go elsewhere. You can probably get more than a one year guarantee that you're going to be back. So that that's my takeaway. Um, it very well could be like this is a developing feud if you will with Hickey and Madden and just a discrepancy between philosophies of the coaching staff and and the front office maybe that's what it could be but who knows man
1: yeah it, it's very it's you know you thought the Chili Davis thing you saw coming and you're yeah. thinking well you know you know that was that you know Theo and Crew wanted you know Chili Davis, but you know Madden and Hickey had a relationship for a long time, and the pitching was pretty good. I mean, other than the obvious disaster with Tyler Chatwood, <laughs> uh, the pitching staff was not the problem this year.
0: Yeah, I I think the pitching staff, especially in the second half, as we all know, performed much better than the first half. If the front office were to pick reasons and examples of how Hickey just failed to live up to expectations. I mean, you can point at Chatwood, like you said. Uh, Another example, very well could have been Darvish. Only reason I say Darvish, because earlier in the year, before he was injured, and dating back even to spring training, Darvish changed his delivery. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but he was doing that hesitation with his front leg. And I, I don't know what the intention for Darvish to do that hesitation, whether that was on his own, regardless of the intention that persisted for three months just before he actually went down with that first initial injury. So I guess it could have been a mixture of not putting really any pitchers over the top. You combine that with Darvish's injury, potentially due to a mechanical change, and of course, Chatwood imploded. And as much crap you want to give Theo for giving Chatwood $39 million, Chatwood nevertheless had all this skill and potential, and he had you know, two pitches with peripherals that ranked among the best in Major League Baseball. And you know what? Hickey didn't do his... Best is not the right word. Of course, he gave his effort, but just Hickey couldn't help translate that skill to production. We've heard that a lot recently, translating uh, talent to production. Hickey just was not able to do that. But again, it just for me, it kind of points back to whether or not Hickey wants to stay because of Madden's quote-unquote insecurity I, I think ultimately if I had to bet what's going on here it probably is that
1: well that kind of is an interesting thing in general it's just like Madden's obviously now entering this I don't know what else to call it the lame duck season
0: yeah I mean it's a lame duck year right
1: and that's a very awkward position for any manager or coach in any sport right Right. to be in and it leads to a lot of uncertainty and you do wonder like how is this going to work is there going to be a lot more tension between the front office and the manager
0: this year do you sense that like i was having this discussion with uh Corey, who's my cubs related podcast co-host and i think this may have been off the air actually but i i was a little curious about how the front office has handled the coaching stuff this offseason and I talked to Corey about this point and I'm surprised Madden did not get an extension and the reason being is because you have instances like we have with Chili Davis being fired and now Jim Hickey not coming back where it doesn't look like an appealing option for aspiring coaches, and of course, we got Anthony uh, Ioposi back. But for filling a vacant pitching coaching spot, that seems very difficult to do. With just again uncertainty around Madden, so I, I was surprised that the Cubs did not extend Madden. I felt as if if they gave him, you know, maybe a two-year, three-year deal and you know what? They didn't like what they saw from Madden in 2019. They could have cut them and ate that salary and move on. But at the very least, you kind of create that sense of confidence between the front office and the coaching staff. You're able to then draw in coaches and you're able to maybe create a sense of continuity between the coaches and the players because they have this sense that, hey, we're going to be here for the long haul. And I wonder, ultimately, that was a mistake, not extending Madden and, and putting yourself in this position of just uncertainty,
1: yeah, and it's one of those things too that reporters will ask throughout the season. That that's a question that's going to keep getting asked. It's going to be hanging out there, and if there's a slump or a downturn, people will be, you know, Joe, how does your job uncertainty affect this decision and this decision? It's yeah. just something that's hanging out there.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I I think too, if I'm a player on this team. I think that is a little unsettling as well. I, I, I don't know. I, I I feel as if you listen to Javi and Rizzo and many of the other players at the end of the year, of course they're going to back their manager and sing his praise and whatever. But I, 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 at the same time, I don't think you take that lightly. And I guess just to point out, of course we're outsiders looking in. And you know Theo and, and Jed and the entire front office, they're going to have... Uh, their thorough exit interviews and they know what everyone's thoughts are. So yeah, this is maybe an outsider looking in, but I, I feel, again, I, I feel like if anything you want to create a sense of continuity and the word continuity is not my own word. We even heard Theo talk about that in his season ending press conference. And I just don't see how not giving Madden an extension is creating a sense of continuity to me. Those two philosophies the philosophies clash. I, I, I don't know. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And
1: you know, I'm you know, I sometimes talk that like my brother and stuff. Um, isn't into his ba- like he is a cup fan and stuff, but he's not as into the minutiae as like I am writing these articles and stuff. And he did say to me the other day, he goes, "Well, if you've had turn- complete turnover with hitting and pitching coaches two years in a row." Do you eventually have to ask, well, if you keep, uh, you know, shuffling through hitting and pitching coaches, do you have to ask, is it the manager? Is he the problem? Do
0: you think he's the problem?
1: I don't think he – I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. But my brother yeah. is, like Dad said against men, always has been. But it's one of those things that some of his decisions recently – I mean, the thing with, like, uh, Pedro Stroke
0: still drives me nuts. I mean – Oh, uh, the, uh, keeping them in a pinch. Yeah. So I've, I did not particularly agree with that, but here's the thing: if you're looking at small examples like that, the Cubs were put in that position because of a variety of other factors, like the the offense completely breaking in the second half, the first half, the pitching staff. People probably you know, forget that, but people, uh, the, the pitching staff in the first half severely underperformed. And so if you're able to marry those two um, uh, value with the hitting in the first half and the pitching in the second half, then we're not having these discussions of whether or not Pedro trope should be left in the game to pinch hit with the division on the line. So I guess yeah. you can point at that as well.
1: And it's one of those things, too, where I've always – the way he ma- handles a team and like over the years I've always loved he yeah. does a very good job handling players resting and all that stuff and of course he's always made some let's say interesting in-game decisions and i can always live with yeah. that yeah
0: yeah yeah i, I uh, the in-game stuff is so difficult i i, I do this i do disagree i think any manager who ever manages his team you're going to disagree with some of the moves well he, i mean uh, look at um, a dave roberts or any of the other they've made some moves that Joe Maddon
1: looks way better than some of those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see Dave Roberts even in this recent World Series just kind of over-exert his bullpen. Um, and so, I mean, point being, like managers are always going to have their own philosophies, and I am always, I will always hold this true. I, I don't think these decisions are always black and white. And I think, I personally, I, I love to use data with, of course, there's, gobs of stack cast data out there and i like to play around with it and i know everyone loves exit velocity and all that stuff and you now have these predictive models i get all that but at the same time there is context and some of these decisions that madden makes are ruled by context and information that we're not aware of as fans so i always give him the benefit of the doubt there are instances, though, where yeah, they look to be a little bit obviously disagreeable. I mean, Corey, he said this in the last podcast episode, but he said like he'll never forgive Joe Maddon for pinch hitting John Lackey in the 2017 or uh, keeping John Lackey in to pitch in Game Two of the 2017 NLCS. I'll never forgive him for that. But overall, the the entire body of work, I. I, I really like what Joe Madden has done, and I have enjoyed him being the manager as the Cubs. However, I will say the lack of urgency comments from last year that Theo yeah. just gave that that was a little jarring to I me. Was, I was I about to say that that right like what I, I, how did I put it It was a brutal subtweet by Theo Lafine, yeah. and it, it was and. How you interpret that is going to be different from maybe a different fan. Um, I, I, I guess for, for me, how I interpret that is absolutely that's on the manager's uh, shoulders to be responsible for getting your players ready. And I, I totally understand that. At the same time, the degree to which they were, quote-unquote, not urgent, who, who knows? Uh, that's, that's something that I'm sure Theo and Joe have talked about. And if it were a major issue where the front office felt as if the team just wasn't exerting 100% effort all the time, I I think he would have been fired. And that's not the case because, I I don't know, I feel as if if there were really, truly a disconnect between Madden and the front office, he would have been fired by now. But they're not. And what I can't understand then, underneath that same thought is why he hasn't been extended. And that's kind of the, the cognitive dissonance, I guess, if you want to call it something, that I'm struggling with.
1: Yeah, you know, speaking of that, we'll kind of move on from... But, yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand the kind of hanging in the balance. But, right. you know, another thing in Theo's press conference was it really, when you listen to it, you really get the sense that, like, they were going to make big moves. Like, he was very displeased with the status quo. But then, after he, that press conference these just cascade of leaks that the Cubs are not going to spend a lot of money and I'm starting to get the feeling like you did on your podcast you were talking about that they really aren't going to spend money but I don't get the the disconnect between Theo's press conference and then this.
0: Yeah. uh, Theo's transparency has always been first and foremost, one of his greatest strengths, I feel, with the media, he handles the media exceptionally well. He almost like steals the answers before they even ask him the questions, and he understands that. And so I think he kind of fed the media what they wanted to hear, and that created a sense of ease, I guess, from the public or whatever you want to call. But I interpreted those comments as, hey, we're going to seriously consider trading some guys who may." To have been with the team for a while, and you may be uncomfortable with dealing with these trades. That's how I interpreted that. And also, just like, just as a as a notice, I guess the Cubs are spending money. They're currently set at two hundred twenty two million, give or take a few million, in their projected payroll for next for next season. And so they're already going to approach probably the second tier of the luxury tax, right? So they're not like withholding money. It's just hey, they may not want to spend. On another player worth $350 million and have to pay penalties on top of that and limit your your flexibility. So, I guess ultimately, I think Theo was talking about making trades. I know other people interpreted that as, hey, we're going to get Bryce Harper, but I disagree with that.
1: Well, also, you know, it's one of those things, too, where, uh, you know, Cubs Twitter, Cubs fans have been building this Bryce Harper thing. Two years, three years now? <laughs> For a while, yeah. They want it so bad. And I don't know, we don't know if the front office ever did want it. Right. We're just going with what we wanted. Right. So it might be one of those things where he's like, We're gonna change things up. And it might mean trading Schwarber, Hap, Elmora. But we just like Harper. Harper, that means Harper.
0: Yeah. I I, I think that I think that was never insinuated in the press conference, let's put it that way. And also, at the same time, given the reports that they may not spend, it's possible they move around players on the current team to to get uh, get that dead weight off, I guess. For example, they may be able to trade Tyler Chatwood and eat some of his salary, but free up some luxury tax room. And same thing with Jason Hayward. They they may be able to eat maybe half a salary, but give them up and you get that financial flexibility. So it's possible they can still get Harper, but it's gonna take a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of creativity to do that. I just don't see it happening, but I don't think this front office is like putting that out of the realm of possibility. I just don't think it's likely, but they're gonna explore every possible scenario 100%, 100%, and I think that does include trying to at least entertain the idea of getting a Harper or Machado. Again, that doesn't mean it's likely, but I think they're, they're, not, they're, they're, they're smart enough to consider every single option on the table.
1: Yeah, and you know, the Manny market has taken, you got to say it's taken a hit with the World Series, but I don't know how fair that was, but
0: you got to say it's taken a bit of a hit. Would you spend $350 million on Machado right now? You see, I, no, I wouldn't do it. And, and so what, what's your uh, reasoning for that? Well, I really just like... From a production standpoint? Or yeah, like, I really, yeah,
1: yeah, I really like Machado a lot. Yeah. And I was on his team like going into the playoffs and stuff. But I just get a little worried about the hole. He's got a hole in his swing. He strikes out a lot. And it makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, my, my thing with Machado is, first and foremost, he's one of the best young hitters in the league, and he's put up pretty good numbers over the, the last few years. My biggest problem with Machado, and I, I, I talked about it too recently, and it's just I, I think the projections going forward with Machado – are a little disconcerting for me just because he relies so heavily on racking up base hits, which you think would be a good thing, right? But the way he goes about providing his value is not walking a lot, hitting a lot of homers, getting a lot of base hits, a lot like Javi Baez, to be honest with you, which is perfectly fine. But as much as we all love Javi, I don't know if anyone's willing to give over $300 million for Javi right now. And but you were
1: kind of giving a... Yeah, you were kind of giving a mind-blowing stat, too, that I can't remember where you said it, but about Ian Happ's numbers being not that far off from Manny Machado's, and it kind of
0: blew my mind. Oh, but yeah, that one. The reason I brought up the, the Ian Happ comparison was because, if you look at Manny Machado's 2017 season, he had a three twenty eight on base average, which is just a, just a stat that basically combines all your offensive production into one tangible number and then if you look at ian Happ's 2018 he had a 329 Wobo. and so i brought that up not to dismantle manny machado and and discourage anyone from signing him but i brought that up just because machado's skill set is reliant on the racket basis getting homers and not really walking it's a lot like hobby bias's skill set and it's not to knock Javi either, but I think we'd all be in agreement. But, like, hey, maybe giving Javi Baez half a billion dollars does not make sense right now. I think it's the same thing for Manny Machado. And if we're talking about lower dollars, yes, please sign me up for Manny Machado. But we're not. We're talking about at least $300 million. And going forward, as someone ages, I want a diverse hitter. You look at Joey Botto, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant. They have a diverse hit skill they can walk they can hit homers base hits everything and that walking skill to me allows you to age better and be more projectable once you hit 28 29 and i think with machado you're not going to get that consistent projection or that reliability
1: you know it's funny that you mention uh hit tools and stuff like that because i uh, just recently wrote an article came out today
0: about Michael Brantley. On uh, which on which website? Uh, CubsInsider.com. CubsInsider.com. Okay. That's right. <laughs> but,
1: um, you know, Michael Brantley's numbers are actually very intriguing, and he doesn't strike out a lot, makes a lot of contact. Now, obviously, he had the injury issues in 2016 and 2017, but he's back strong this year, and he might be an intriguing guy as a lower-cost option.
0: Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. I, I saw that. I was going to message you, actually, and be like, hey, good idea. But uh, I, I saw that, and I, I do like it. I, the one hesitant thing I have about that idea, making it more consistent production, it's kind of hard to rely on, on maybe Schwarber, a more uh, Hayward. Um, and so there's two thoughts. One, you can throw Brantley into the mix and kind of hope some of them pan out. Or you can instead maybe consider getting Brantley and then trying at the same time to cons- to, to acquire a more consistent, quote-unquote, healthy bat by trading Schwarber or Happ or Mora. But I, I do like the idea. It doesn't intrigue me to get Brantley. The one, the one negative to that to me is just, hey, can you rely on him to give you 150 games? I, I don't know about that.
1: Yeah, that that's that is the big red flag for him, and there's also a lot, of course, buzz about Andrew McCutcheon. but yeah. you know, you know he would he does get on base, he walks, but he, I do worry about McCutcheon
0: maybe way past his prime. But a similar deal to let's say Todd Frazier with what he got, let's, let's say like. Eight to twelve million per year for two or three years. So you're paying in basically like a John Lackey contract or the Tyler Chatwood contract. I, I may be more open to doing that than maybe risking it with Michael Brantley. But again, the the, the negative to that argument is, of course, what you just said: is he past his prime, and will he be even uh, able able to even play past one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty games with his age? I think that's another. Another red flag. So I don't know if there's perfect solutions here, but a mixture maybe of of acquiring outside talent, trading from within to, to fill other weaknesses, and supplementing your team that way might be a good option.
1: Well, you know, that, I'm going to ask you about that too because um, I get the sense like you do that somebody's getting traded, and I would assume it's out of yeah. the the um, Hap Elmore uh, uh, Schwarber camp. I mean. Like you said, if they come up with something creative to trade Hayward, I mean, that might be something different. But out of those other yeah. three, who do you think is the most likely to get shipped out?
0: Uh, the most likely to get shipped out? I, I don't know if there's one crystal clear option. I, I feel as if we're hearing a lot about Kyle Schwarber just because of the defense stuff without you know dissing other players. So I do like a Lamora. But if we're going to look and compare between the, among those three players, I, I think there's more of a higher ceiling for Ian Happ, for Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber, of course, improved his defense. Happ, of course, has the power, speed, potential, and versatility. I feel that there's more talent. But at the same time, you go back to Theo's comments of time to turn talent into production, and maybe they feel more comfortable given what they know with Almora, what he can do. But if I, if I had to... Do any deal? If I had the keys to the Cubs, which thank God I don't, I probably would. I probably would trade Elmore uh, before I trade uh, Hap or Schwarber.
1: Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you. I wrote. I wrote another for CubsInsider.com about how I thought Ian Hap should get more playing time, especially against right-handed pitching, than Elmore was getting, and people did not like it. There is a lot of anger. A lot of. Well, if Elmore got a play against right-handed pitching, he'd do so much better. And I was just like, yeah. his number. the numbers don't back that up. And people were angry. And, of course, I hated to see it, but Elmore got more time against righties, and his numbers did start to crater at the end of the year. And you wonder if, like, yeah, is he ever going to be more than just a guy who kills lefties and plays decent defense? Is he ever going to move past that?
0: Yeah, and that was a that was another thought that, cr- that crossed my mind and I was looking a- across the last few years and one consistency that the Cubs have had is their ability to shuffle in and not platoon players, but able to give guys consistent days off, able to mix and match and play to a lot of the individual strengths. But at the same time, I asked myself, is that kind of harmful to each of these guys development because I think one example you can point to as maybe being, yes, it is harmful to the development is Javi bias. because this was the first year he went over 600 plate appearances his entire career. I think it may have been the first time he went over even like 510 plate appearances. And that was because of injuries and the Addison Russell saga. But nevertheless, Javi was able to, at times, fail short term, but not get taken out, adapt, and adjust successfully. And we saw the fruits of that decision ultimately lead to Javi being an MVP candidate, able to hit right-handed hitting and reduce, at times, his excessive whiff rate and successfully adjust. So the, the, the question has crossed my mind is what the Cubs have done with shifting guys around with their prospects. Has that been, to a degree... Suboptimal in their developments. And I don't know what the answer to that is, but the question did cross my mind.
1: If you played 150 games instead of 100, you know, instead of these you know, spattered appearances, more platoon appearances, maybe they would be better.
0: Yeah. And like I said, my, my, my thought process around that philosophy may, has, may have changed recently. I, I think if you were to ask me the past two years what the greatest strength the Cubs were, it was this ability to mix and match and, and give guys like Schwarber and Almora days off against really tough pitchers but at the same time I'm kind of shifting towards the mindset like hey these guys need to face like for example Schwarber needs to face tough lefties and Almora needs to face tough righties and maybe it makes more maybe it makes more sense to kind of just ride with some of the lows but at the same time you're you know there's a potential for them to adjust and ultimately it pays off better in the long run because if you look at like jorge soler for example all the tools in the world and he had bouts of success especially in the 2015 playoffs where it looked as if hey this guy's going to be something else but in 2016 2017 with the royals he had injuries but he never got that consistent playing time and i feel as if maybe that kind of Uh, delayed or resulted in a suboptimal development for Solaire. And I think a lot of that can be potentially similar for some of these players if they can't get the opportunity to fail and adapt instantly, like what Javi did last season.
1: Yeah, it is one of those things. Of course, I'm like the chairperson of the Jorge Solar fan club, (laughs) so you don't have to tell me about that, but... (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, man, I uh, I was probably right there with you. I think if you look at if you looked at Soler's numbers, especially in like the minors, and just that he passed every eye test that you could possibly give. Uh, uh, that one hurts me, man. I really thought Solar would be something special.
1: Yeah, like he he tore up the minors. I mean, people forget that now, but he just hit a ton in the minors.
0: Uh, so dude, yeah, like, even was- even in the 2015 playoffs, like he went off. You know. <laughs> Just a disgusting. I think it was against the Cardinals, or whatever it was, or yeah, it was against the Cardinals where he just could not get out. It was incredible. Yeah, and his swing is beautiful. I loved <sighs> his swing. I know her. I can't. I still to this day I cannot believe. Like I, 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 I was talking 2014, 2015, and I always said I think the most reliable person, the most reliable prospect the Cubs have, was Jorge Soler. And admittedly, admittedly, I think I even put him in that like Chris Bryant tier. And at times with Chris Bryant strikeout, I may have shifted towards Jorge Soler as being the guy. But I'm I'm still to this day floored he couldn't make it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I was I was doing the same kind of stuff and like, you know, like if you could get that, and then like, you know, the whole um, Soler strike zone and all that stuff. I was yeah, I was very much on the team. But it yeah. just, maybe it'll work out eventually. Who knows? Yeah,
0: I mean, not with the Cubs, though. Unfortunately,
1: No, nope, not with the Cubs. Uh, I guess I will um, go to one other thing I wanted to ask about, and uh, that's the bullpen. And do you see any major changes? You wonder, like, is Morrow, are they ever going to be able to rely on Morrow? But what do you think is going to happen with the bullpen?
0: Uh, you don't want 2018 to repeat, right? And so if 2018 repeats, that means Morrow's your closer going into 2019, and you have a group of guys who have injury concerns and inconsistency, right? So I think the strategy going into 2018 was, hey, let's accumulate as many arms as possible and see what happens. And at times, in most of the year, actually, that worked. They were able to get production from a variety of different people. But towards the tail end of the season, as we all saw, it turned into Jesse Chavez, Jorge De La Rosa, Pedro stroke prior to his injury and Steve C And that was more or less all you had. So I, I do expect changes in the bullpen. I, I struggle with trying to find the solutions to it though, just because Cubs appear to be financially a little restricted. So I don't know if the solution is going to come from an expensive free agent acquisition. Like for example, them going and getting correct. Kimbrough, I just, I don't see that happening. But I don't have a solution to offer, though, because it seems like that's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, and the thing I'm thinking is probably you do see a Schwarber or someone trade it for some kind of reliever. That's my guess. I don't know if that's...
0: Ah, oh, man. I, dude, like, I have a, I have personally, like, yeah, I can see that happening, but just... That would that would hurt me, man. I, that's, that's like the Jorge Soler thing all over again. Um, and I feel with Schwarber... I mean, the difference between he and Solera, obvious, but I uh, I struggle ever trading a bat that has that much potential. And with Schwarber, he hasn't had bad years. I mean, even last season, he had a 345, 342 world or whatever it was. And then in his previous season, even with that that terrible first half, he rebounded and had a above-average year offensively, and the defense approved, and I still think he's young enough to adapt to these lefties. I personally would struggle mightily trading Schwarber for a reliever, but at the same time, I can see the Cubs doing that just because they have a surplus of outfielders, and they may consider spending money to shore up their offense rather than pitching like they've done the past few years. But again, personally, I, I probably at first you would have to take a lot of convincing for me to get beyond the, the idea of trading Schwarber for relievers is a good idea.
1: I mean, he hit 30 home runs two years ago and 25 home runs last year. And you wouldn't even say those were good years. You'd say those were, you know, they were good, but I you mean there's so much more there? He could hit 50 home runs
0: and you just, you get nervous about pulling the trigger on that. Yeah. And I, uh, man, I, I really do like Schwarber. I, I really do. And I think he has the potential to to reach that ceiling. And even if he doesn't, like if he caps out around what he is now, then so be it, man. Like he's still producing well above league average. And if that's what's ultimately is gonna be his value, then I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's it's a different question if you ask, hey, would you trade half for relievers? Yeah, my my answer probably would be eh, I don't know about that, but I'm more comfortable doing that than trading Schwarber. Yeah,
1: and it's one of those things too. It's like you do really do have the hobby Baez example ringing in your head. Like they, you know, they stuck it out with him, and he it clicked. And we're getting into the same year now with Schwarber about the same amount of time that Baez did before he clicked in.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, man. I remember I was having these discussions in twenty what is it, 2015. It was it, twenty fifteen? It's like, hey, should we trade Soler or Javi? And even in twenty sixteen, it was whether or not Soler should play more than Javi. And those scenarios seem obnoxious and just completely insane now. Um, but that's the same discussions we were having many years ago. And ultimately, Javi adjusted. Kudos to him and the coaching staff that he's had over the past few years to help him develop and. And all the different tools have been put into his quote unquote basket to succeed. And and I think that's that points to an example of helping guys translate that talent to production. And so I think the front office is gonna know which guys are more likely to succeed based on what they've done, based on the, the discussions they have. And I feel as if, if Theo is going to trade someone from this group, I don't think it's going to be Schwarber, despite the defensive liabilities. I don't think it's going to be Schwarber. and Hap has similar defensive liabilities too. I just I struggle with them saying, "Yep, yeah, we're going to trade Schwarber for a reliever." I really struggle with that idea.
1: Yeah, and I'll just add one more, one more thing that's kind of amazing to me: uh, Brandon Kinsler getting five million dollars,
0: and it's yeah. just like,
1: is he going to be a five million dollar pitcher for Iowa? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and, I, and funny enough, I think that points to an example of the Cubs and their current financial flexibility. Like, if they were really intent on signing Bryce Harper, which they could still be, don't get me wrong, then they wouldn't have risked trading for Brandon Kinsler, knowing very well that he was going to exercise his option for five million dollars, and they would not have tr- or signed Brian Duncine last season knowing very well that his three and a half million towards the luxury tax is going to prohibit them from signing someone like manny or someone like harper or a big time reliever maybe they just made that error but personally i feel as if if those decisions were going to affect major moves they would have never been made
1: yeah that's kind of the sense you get like if they're really that limited by their you know their financial like you know if they don't want to go over the second luxury tax or the third luxury tax level, then yeah, those moves don't make sense if you're trying
0: to get a Bryce Harper. Right. And I, I don't have much confidence in Brandon Kinsler just because he's getting older or whatever. But I, I, I hope, I hope he rebounds, but I think if you're going to rely on Brandon Kinsler as a consistent piece for 2019, that's not going to happen and it very well could just be one of those things where yeah once you get out of spring training you just may just eat it and pay them and move on yeah and you, i'm pretty sure i mean
1: things would have to go i just i can't believe that brian dunsing
0: will be allowed anywhere near the bullpen this year but you never know <laughs> i don't know what happened with him man because i remember what was it the first six weeks of the season I think it may have been his first 15 innings if i'm remembering but he didn't even allow a run and then ever since ever since like middle of may or whatever he was complete nonsense and a complete disaster out there uh but well that's at,
1: what uh, you're talking
0: about too um we were talking
1: about uh cory with how could you um you know put um john lackey in. and the one that we all wanted was keep brian dunsing out there another inning in the nlcs <laughs> it's just amazing now
0: uh it's a good point, man. It's a good point. Yeah, isn't that funny? In 2017, we were relying on Brian Dunson in like the eighth and ninth innings. Uh, what a what a what a disaster! How did how did we get to these points? Uh, I, I I don't know, man. Like I, I think you look at the bullpen too, and you have CJ or Carl Edwards Jr. and you want so badly for him to just stay consistent, but oh, if you're trying to capitalize on this win window, I, personally, it's hard for me to rely on a pitcher like that. I think with Steve Cizek, you knew, like, when Cizek was on the mound, this is what you're going to get. And there's a sense of comfort and appreciation and and, and really just a consistent projection going forward that you just don't have with someone like Carl Edwards Jr. and Brandon Morrow's health. So I don't know what the solution is, but there are issues with that bullpen, and it does give me some anxiety, admittedly.
1: Well, it's one of those things, too, that you just – it really, if you think about
0: all this stuff, it is how amazing is Pedro strope
1: that he's oh, so consistent best,
0: dude one of the best Cubs relievers of all time best Cubs reliever in at least my lifetime you can point to Carlos Marmol in his stretch and uh, some of Sean Marshall's years and I, I the consistency that Pedro Strope has provided year in year out has been nothing short of remarkable and ultimately he'll go down in my opinion as as a Cubs legend yeah I
1: mean Every year, between like is ERAs under three and like between three and two fi- two, 2.5. It's just amazing the consistency. You can,
0: yeah, and I, I hope too. Like age doesn't catch up to him as much as I want. Paying the line, the back of my head is like, hey, how how can you keep going on like this? The, the, the reliever game is finicky, and you can go from being Andrew Miller of twenty sixteen to Andrew Miller of twenty nineteen. Yeah, the people getting, are talking about as like a yeah a
1: discount an option for the Cubs, Andrew Miller. I'm isn't like...
0: that isn't that isn't that crazy? And it's funny too, you mentioned that because and this is a great this is a great example and in ties into what we were talking about, Schwarber. In 2016, the discussion was: hey, would the Cubs trade Kyle Schwarber for Andrew Miller at the trade deadline? Yep. And and remember what the reports were? The reports were unambiguously, no, that's yep. not going to happen. This front office does not want that to happen. Imagine if they did that now. And even if Schorber provided the current value he did with the Cubs last year for the Indians and the Cubs got back this current version of Andrew Miller, we would have labeled that as a complete disaster by the front office, right? Yep. It would have been a robbery. So that's, that's my hesitation ever, 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 ever trading for relievers. And even with Justin Wilson, another great example of Justin Wilson, you traded Isaac Paredes and Jaimer Candelario. Isaac Paredes is going to be one of the top dogs in the prospect list for the next two seasons. And Justin Wilson had an okay year last year, but he was never what the Cubs thought they were going to get when they traded Jimer and, and Paredes just that's, that's the risky run with trading for relievers. And that's why I particularly rather not trade Schwarber or Happ or even Elmora for someone like that. You have to get back a consistent, consistent, consistent reliever. And those are, those are rare.
1: Yep. They really are. So I guess I, I think I've asked pretty much everything I was going to ask. Um, I will ask one more just because I like to needle you a little bit. Uh, oh God. Oh God. Jaleesh Chassin and my <sighs> little <Mikolas, sighs> And we go with Chatwood. I mean, <sighs> if you ever want to look in a mirror, like a perfect example of how hard it is to be a
0: GM three, very similar guys. And we end up with Tyler Chatwood. Would you, okay. So going back to last off season at this time, would you have still given Tyler Chatwood that money and that deal over uh, Mikolas and Chassin?
1: Well, I, I would not have given Chassin money. I mean, you were on that. You, you knew he was going to be good. I, I just, like, I, maybe I'd seen uh, I'd gone to enough Rocky games, because that's where I see the Cubs play yeah. in Denver, that I was kind of scared of Chatwood and <laughs> and uh, Chassin. I was like, hmm
0: Yeah, that could have been, uh, I I can see what you're saying. I I think where I was last season, of course, I liked Chasin. The reason I liked Chasin, of of course, was because he was going to be cheap. And ultimately, he got $8 million. And he got basically half the money that, that Tyler Chatwood got. But it goes back to what Chatwood is. He had a little bit more bouts of success. And he had more pitches. And so it made sense at the time but it hurts me, man. Like you saw Chassin play against Quintana four times this year. And ultimately Chassin was like the ace by the time the the brewers got to the NLCS. And that's, that's a little heartbreaking for me. I'm not going to lie. That one hurts.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I don't know about you or did anyone see Mikolas coming? I mean, this was just amazing.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think Evan wrote something about it last off season, but it's it's difficult. You run the risk getting guys from uh, different leagues. Of course, uh, Mikolas coming from from Japan, and it's hard to translate some of the stuff he does overseas to to the states. But they they may have whiffed on that one. I, I got to say that that guy is filthy, and the money that the Cardinals are paying Mikolas that one stings the most. If we're gonna compare chasin to Mikolas, like, oh my word, how did we miss out on Mikolas?
1: And then, like, he making the comments, like, I wanted to go to the Cubs
0: and they didn't give me enough <laughs> for that piss-pop, and I'm like, oh my God, really? Yeah. But, but here's the thing, like, I, I totally understood the logic that the front office was using last season. It's, if, you, if we look back and we put ourselves in the same situation a year ago from today, you look at Mikolas, the biggest counter against him was he hasn't played against major league baseball players in several years. You look at Julius seen and the argument against him is, hey, he doesn't really have that good numbers. We don't know if we can translate this raw skill, which is what he had, to production. Chatwood was like a mixture of those two things. He had the talents. He had multiple pitches. He had bouts of success. And it wasn't going to be that big of a deal at the time, giving him 13 million per year. You're basically paying the John Lackey deal for a 28 year old starting pitcher who throws in the mid nineties with three secondary offerings. I love the deal at the time. I still, I hope Chad can get it together, but it made sense at the time.
1: And I mean, people forget about it now, but like, yeah, his ERA on the road was very good. And people were like, well, you know, it could be just a course field effect. And I, the Cubs tried yeah. that, of course, with Eddie Butler too. And, I think they might be done trying to gamble on the Coors Field effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, or this these these mid tier pitchers. Uh, we we can point even going back to Edwin Jackson in was it twenty was that twenty twelve or twenty thirteen whatever it was. These these mid tier contracts, hoping to translate value out of these guys and capitalize on them. I don't know. I don't know if that's the way they're going to go going forward. They've had so many blow up in their face now, and even Lackey in twenty seventeen he was his numbers were not good, man. I know he had a great second half, but the totality of his work was not good.
1: I don't know. Yeah, anyone who Cubs gives mean, up, anyone gives up like 38 home runs in a year, or I don't know if it was 38, but it was well over 30. I think it was, yeah. I think it was a thousand. Yeah.
0: It felt like a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think those days may be done for the Cubs. Uh, they, they may just want a little bit more reliable, reliable pitchers going forward and not gambling on some guys who have the peripherals, but not, not necessarily the, the numbers to back that up. Again, I always go back to the talent, not production line that Theo said, and that, that extends beyond just prospects. I think as Theo said, it does point the finger back at himself, Like he was, of course, you can you sign chat when knowing the talent, but the production was not there. And I think that that's a key to what they're going to be doing going forward not just from a prospect point of view, but also evaluating free agents going forward.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be one of those things where you're looking for what do they actually do? And exactly. I mean, look at like, if you going into acquiring even like a Kyle Hendricks, I mean, he did have an elite changeup, but you'd go, "Yeah, is he going to be good enough? But he produces, he gets the most out of what he's got. And you got someone like an Edwin
0: Jackson or Chatwood, they've got so much, Stuff, but they just
1: can't translate it.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of pitchers. I mean, if you go just like filter by spin rate or whatever you want to use, like there's so many guys who are on top of those leaderboards who are bad pitchers in terms of their actual run prevention and their ERAs and everything you want to throw at them. Like some of the game's most nasty pitchers are not successful, and the reasons for that are probably command and pitch sequencing and consistency or whatever, but it goes to show you like someone like a Kyle Hendricks, he has an elite changed up, but my, Oh my, can he just translate just one or two pitches into consistent success year in and year out. And even though Corey's not on here, I will say someone like
1: uh, John Lester gets the absolute most out of what you might consider <laughs> not the best stuff.
0: Well, as we all know, I'm the, uh, I'm the chairman of the John Lester fan club, right? Yes and Corey, Corey, Corey would admit that too. No, I'm joking. But yeah, man, like what John, John Lester is an absolute legend. Uh, if his number is not retired by the time his contract's up or rather in the next like five years after his contract is up, something, something's wrong. I mean, a complete stud game sevens, multiple times relief, whatever, you know, Lester's on the mound. What are you getting? You're getting backdoor cutters, 88 miles per hour, nonstop. I love it.
1: Yeah. And of course I love to torture Corey. And every time there's a, comment in one of my articles where I see a tweet saying, time to get rid of Lester. or Lester's overrated.
0: I have to send it right to him. (laughs) I'm hoping next season that Lester does hit those two homers. I don't know if you saw that bet, but uh, Corey made a bet with at Cubs, and if Lester hit two homers last season, Corey would have gotten a tattoo of Lester bunting somewhere on his body. Hopefully that bet remains for next season. I would love that. Yeah, that would be fun to see. Yeah. Well, I guess that's
1: where i'll stop we've tortured Corey enough so (laughs) i had to do that at the
0: end i can never get enough of torturing Corey. anytime you want me to do that just let me know i'll come on here and do it
1: yeah but of course i guess i don't need some of the people might not know but the cubs related podcast that you guys put out about twice a week much more often than i put out this one
0: but (laughs) (laughs) it's hard man it's hard to record i mean it's 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 difficult so you know, the listeners getting one or two podcasts a week, that's, trust me, that is a lot of work. And even if it's one or once every two weeks or so, it's still it's still good and hard work to do. Yep. And so if you aren't listening, I, I encourage you to listen to the Cubs Related Podcast.
1: And um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yep. And thanks for coming on, Brendan. Thanks, Sean. Anytime. Yep. We will have another episode soon. Uh, You can always follow me on Twitter at STH85. Uh, If you have a question for the podcast, you can email holycowpod at gmail.com and if you have any comments or questions, uh, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes. Just look for Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. And if you do subscribe to it, uh, could you rate it and review it? So let's me know I'm doing a good job, or if you have any concerns with it, you can always put those on the reviews, but I'd like good reviews. Anyway, until our next episode, thank
0: you for listening.